Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur, and this is season six, episode six. We are talking about fruit of the spirit all season long. And today we're talking with Dr. Mary C. Lynn, who is not only a clinical psychologist, author, and podcaster with over 25 years of clinical expertise, she has uh, she has some expertise on me too because she was my therapist for a period of time in my life. And so I can't wait to talk about this subject of the day, which is self-control. We're talking about self-control, boundaries, restraint, maybe even on the internet and a ton more things. Uh, so this is your quote unquote free therapy session with Dr. Mary. Thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to waybase.com, waybase.com for making this season possible. I can't wait to tell you a little bit more about Compassion and about Waybase, but first I want to dive into this conversation with Dr. Mary as she brings us a therapist's perspective on the fruit of the spirit and the character that needs to grow in us as human beings to be healthy and thrive. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 6. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Dr. Mary, Dr. Mary C. Lynn, I'm so glad to have you on this podcast. I call you Mary, I guess, in my personal life, but we'll give you your official title. Dr. Mary C. Lynn, you're a clinical psychologist and the first of your kind on this podcast. So wow. I'm pumped to have I am you. Super honored. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I have referenced you in various ways on this podcast, probably every few episodes, because you were my therapist and, uh, and you, you know, really informed a lot of maybe <laughs> this, this era of my life through how you've helped me. So you have been on lots of episodes, even if you haven't been ever on this podcast. I've been in your head. <laughs> <laughs> you're in my head all the time. You, Jesus, and my mom, you're all oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is why I do what um, I do. Come on. Hey, can you give us, before we go too far, can you introduce yourself to, to us for lots of people who don't know who you are? Tell us a little bit about your context. Sure. Uh, well, I've been a psychologist for uh, close to 30 years. Yeah, just sit on that. <laughs> <laughs> and in the course of that, um, I've done a lot of clinical work. So I've worked with people with all sorts of mental health uh, issues, uh, marriage, families, et cetera, et cetera, done assessments. But there was always this other part of my life that I loved working in, and that was coaching, especially leadership development. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to lead as well because I started a practice and it grew. And then all of a sudden there was a lot of people and I was managing it. So I learned um, some leadership lessons the hard way. <laughs> and made a whole whack of mistakes. So that's kind of where I'm at the stage in my life. If you do the math, you can tell that I'm a little bit um, more mature and um, like sitting in a place of like, how can I help others with what I've learned? How can I help mm -hmm. them avoid the mistakes I've made? Um, and that's why I love doing things like 
you know, coming to the podcast, having conversations with you or some other friend at a coffee shop. It's not so formalized anymore. Right. And, um, and then I'm also married and I have two adult kids, Cameron and Amanda, who have uh, individuated, uh, even as I try to hold on. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, as you say, that individuated, uh, most moms probably wouldn't say it that way, but do you, as a, as a psychologist, do you find, uh, you know, is it hard to take your own advice? I guess is maybe what I'm trying to get at, like your own kids having to let them go and having to go through that process. You can advise someone else, but now you're going through it. It's gotta be yeah. tough. <laughs> well, uh, it took me a long time to decide to have kids because I figured I was going to seriously damage them. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> I should the world that they'll have money to go see a therapist on their own. Um, you know, I had a really funny conversation with my kids this past weekend. Uh, so in our family, we don't really do a lot of anger or conflict and, oh my gosh, I really tried my best to teach the kids to be in touch with their emotions and talk about their feelings. I did all the right things from that standpoint, but I forgot, oh, I have to model it too. <laughs> so they actually <laughs> live as I modeled as opposed to what I said. Yeah. So all that to say is I, I can preach it, but I don't always live it. Uh, yeah. But having said that, that fact that we can even have those kinds of conversations with my adult kids and laugh about it. And, and I see that they're both growing and I continue to learn. I think it's pretty, eh, you know, yeah. I'll have a lot more grace for myself now. Well, the, the focus of this series, we're talking about fruit of the spirit because I just keep saying, doesn't everybody need more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control right now in this angry, bitter, anxious, yeah. groggy-headed time that we're in? It's um, um, it's it's been a year, or it's been more than a year, I guess, at this point of this um, pandemic life that has led to kind of an intensity of all kinds of other things in life. And so... Um, I wanted to lean in with you today around the fruit of self-control um, mm -hmm. because under self-control, there's all kinds of things that you've helped me work through, um, but that also are really like themes that you talk to a lot of people about a lot of the time because I think there's mm -hmm. so much under this one thing. And I'd love then again to go, You just before we hit record, you were talking about all kinds of things about the fruit of the spirit in general. And I want to get there in our conversation um, later. But um, talk to me, when you first just hear the word self-control, um, what, <laughs> do you think people have it? <laughs> when you look at the internet today, what, what does it make you think about as a psychologist oh in this gosh. area of self-control? Well, you know, I've lived long enough and seen enough that I actually have a lot of compassion for when people lack self-control, uh, because especially during COVID, where life has been so hard and tumultuous, uh, people do tend to go towards their drugs of choice, as we like to call it, whether it's food or shopping or, you know, on screen, it, people do. Um, the challenge is that, as anything, and this shows the opposite of the fruit of the spirit is when we rely on ourselves. So it's self-control, it's self-management. And it's not that we can't learn strategies. I mean, I can tell you a lot of the science behind how we self-regulate. Um, so we can definitely develop the skills, but the ultimate fruit of self-control 
really does come from the Holy Spirit. And so I think our responsibility is to kind of get out of the way isn't quite what I mean, but get our stuff out of the way that's preventing the Holy Spirit from living through us and demonstrating that fruit, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I wonder if we could start at this idea. You just, you have your own podcast. I wondered if you'd mention it when you introduced yourself. Um, well, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fully lived life podcast you do with your friend, a life coach, or just a coach, uh, Jillian. And there's this episode you just did recently. Well, you've talked about this a little bit in a number of different ways, but I want to talk about this emotional self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you helped me even identify what I was doing with this. And so I'll tell, I don't expect you to remember this, but there was one time in, in the work we did together where I'd had like a bad thing happen and I emailed you kind of like, can we meet immediately? Kind of a, kind of an email. And you intentionally didn't write back to me for a long time. And I was mad, but this again, this is my younger, less mature self. And, um, ultimately you helped me understand that you coming in, in that moment of my panic wouldn't have helped me. I needed to do some self-regulation. I needed to have some self-control and deal with it myself before mm-hmm. another person could come in. So that's a, it's a huge topic, but I want to just open up that can of worms and, and get in your head about this for people. What do, what even is self-regulation? How do we do it? How do we know we're not doing it? <laughs> Right. Um, often other people tell us we're not doing it. That's how we know. Uh, well, if I could sort of talk about the brain and how our brain is wired for survival and uh, we begin to identify um, possible risks or danger. And it, when that happens, uh, our brain kind of goes into lizard brain mode. Our amygdala kickoff, our limbic systems all you know, up in our, our arms And it's because our brain senses danger and therefore we must react. And normally it's fight or flight. And in, um, you know, what life ought to be and parenting ought to be is to teach kids to learn how to um, interpret signals that so that's not dangerous, how to respond in a, you know, wise and healthy way. Those are all skills that a parent can teach a child. Um, Because it's not something that, like there are certain temperaments that are just generally more calm than others, but kids are not born with self-regulation skills. I mean, when as soon as an infant's born, what do they do? They cry and cry and cry Mm -hmm. until you soothe them. So a parent, one of their first initial things that they do to help a child learn how to self-regulate is actually to soothe them, comfort them. And there's a lot of science around just touch and cuddling and how much that just calms the brain. So when your brain has gone into uh, lizard brain, the most important thing you can do for yourself is actually empathy. And if you can do it for yourself, that's fantastic because then you're doing it for yourself or you go to somebody else who can do that for you. That will actually begin to calm the brain down. And and over enough times of the brain seeing that it's safe, it can be calmed down, it learns that habit of being able to, um, they can internalize that feeling of safety and calmness, right? So um, that's part of what I was doing for you because we had had enough sessions where I would be empathetic and I would be the one kind of talking off a ledge and all that. And I knew that for you to be able to learn to develop for yourself, you had to feel uncomfortable enough to go, wait a minute, she's already in my head. I already know what I'm supposed to do. I can do it. And then once you've done it, 
you then actually have confidence. Wait, wait, I did it. I can do this. And that's kind of like the process from how you can train the brain to do that. And, you know, if there's been a lot of trauma and therefore life is seen and perceived as dangerous, if if there was a lot of childhood abuse so that um, love equals pain and it's mm. paired together, so the brain is all like if somebody is coming close to me or loves me, it, pain is about to come. So there's, can you just imagine the chaos? Right. And in fact, often they will have been raised in a very chaotic early childhood. So their brain is familiar with it. So it recreates that because that's just what seems normal. And so mm. all of those things from a, a brain standpoint uh, has to be taught so that the brain learns that, wait, I can control myself. I can self-regulate. And there's a whole bunch of really fantastic therapeutic techniques that we can teach um, that have been really helpful for clients to, to learn regulation skills. Yeah. I think one of the ways that you helped me see it, the, the picture that immediately, oh, oh, this is what I'm doing. Oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Was, um, you talked about it. It's as if like a small child who's having a tantrum or having an emotional breakdown in a grocery store or whatever, or in their, you know, they don't want to go to bed or whatever it is. They have all this emotion that's coming out at the world and they need, and they want and expect something external to themselves to calm them down. But actually the point of becoming more emotionally mature is to be able to soothe yourself or emotion, actually like <laughs> uh, have control over your own emotions and not spew them out at everybody all the time, that there's something in you that can regulate some of that. Um, right. but, well, but I, I mean, a lot of us right don't have that skill. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, see, you, you, you use a great, great analogy of a child. Um, when a child's having a tantrum, it's not because they're being bad. It's because there's they have a hard time talking about what they need. They don't even know how to put a label to it. So they just feel so overwhelmed with whatever the emotion is. They don't even know what that is. It just feels really intense inside of them. And so they have this blow up. And they're actually scared. They're actually feeling like... Um, you know, something bad is happening or is about to happen and they don't have an ability to interpret that. Now, what most, what the way I was raised as a, is that if my child's having a meltdown, I should punish her or him mm -hmm. or I need to give him a timeout. But the problem is then you've interpreted their behavior as bad rather than their behavior as communication, that they're communicating to you that they're really distressed. And so if you can then help them um, work through how they feel and why and self-soothe and all those important, really important skills, then that child is beginning to learn how to self-regulate. But I would say what I'm observing is that there's many adults who struggle with self-regulation, uh, particularly under stress. People are just more impatient. Uh, they're more grumpy. They're so stressed out. They're tapped out so badly that they're just constantly irritable. So the child just has to like do a little thing and then the parent loses control. And if the parent is not in control, then there's no way a child can learn how to be in control. Right. Or the, you know, I think in COVID, the stories of people who are losing it at the grocery store at you. So this is an adult tantrum in a grocery store because, I don't know, you got too close to them and they're panicked and fearful about getting a disease or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. People are just... It's such a, it's, it's this volatility and we're seeing it online, the, these explosions of words, because it's actually easy to just spew it out on the internet. Um, 
What would be some signs though, when you're, if you're an adult, people listening to this are adults. So, uh, of like a lack of self-regulation, what would be, what would be some cues of like, you're not doing a good job of this. <laughs> we need to, for us to start being more self-aware of what's happening when we're losing that control. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe well, cause I, beyond just like you're screaming at someone, maybe that's an obvious thing you've lost control, but, but what would be some signs of, of your lacking that skill and need to mature in it? Yeah. So, I mean, the obvious one would be that you're yelling, um, or, or swearing and it's just like a lot of, um, noise coming out from you or physical violence even. Um, mo- a lot of people have an ability to control that where it can come out is impulsivity where they make mm-hmm. impulsive decisions. Um, my wife is just driving me nuts. That's it. And I go and grab a, a whiskey and you know, that's it. Um, so it tends to be more that way. Um, it tends to be more in sometimes passive aggressive ways where we withdraw and we give somebody the silent treatment. Hmm. Um, it's just when anger is um, manifesting in behaviors that when we look back, we feel like, I shouldn't have acted that way. Hmm. Uh, and, and you feel kind of typically actually feel shame that you acted that way. That's usually a good sign. Um, you know, impulsivity is one of the ones that um, some people put together with uh, lack of self-control. Um, there are certain temperaments, there's certain um, brain, like ADHD or executive function things where it's harder for people to do that. Um, that's not the same thing that I'm talking about when I'm talking about impulsivity. I'm talking about almost destructive actions that you know is not good for you or it's going to create damage in your relationships and you don't care anyway and you do it. Mm. And so then if it's... Um I guess the other kind of person then where we're talking about self-control, like, as you've said, the, <laughs> the ADHD, that's, I feel like everybody's got those short focus and attention spans these days. Does it feels in some ways, maybe, maybe you would argue differently, but it feels as a non, you know, as someone who's not educated in this, that feels like, doesn't everybody have <laughs> some sort of hyperactive attention disorder? Um, our attention spans are just fried. Deep work is really difficult to do. That ability to con- self-control enough to say, like, I'm going to focus on this thing and not these 5,000 other things. Um, what are you seeing and what, what might be some concerns that you're seeing just just culturally, or even maybe there's a generational difference you're seeing in, in that ability to focus and have control. Yeah. I mean, um, I think generationally parents have started to become more, um, permissive or allowed kids more freedom. Uh, and what that has meant is that there's many, many families that walk through our door and their kids are not in a consistent sleep pattern. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, parents will sort of say, yeah, they don't eat very healthy, but they're not necessarily doing anything about it. So it seems like the child has more control than they ought to, especially if they uh, are a child that, you know, has a lot of tantrums. Many times parents will be like, "Uh, if this will calm them down, here you go and sit in front of the TV. And I'm not um, at all wanting to shame parents for that, because honestly, if they're as stressed out as I know parents are, you you barely are getting through life. And that lies the the problem when you're so tapped out that you're white knuckling your way through life you just need a little tiny drop of an extra bit of stress and it just goes like haywire um you know so part of 
self-control does require uh, acknowledgement of our limitations. And when we live as if we have no limits and we can stay up all night and we can binge Netflix all night and, you know, we can take on projects and just work, 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 work. Uh, it will absolutely have an impact on our mental health or relational health physically. It will, because we're not Mm -hmm. meant to live that way. So then there's very little ability to um, have self-control as one of the the fruits. Um, And, you know, back to what I said, if the fruit of the Spirit is from the Holy Spirit, well, if we're busy running around trying to manage life on our own, again, we're not dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us to do the things that we uh, we really can't do on our own. I want to take a moment and talk to you about compassion because maybe you've been waiting for this whole pandemic life to end. You've been just trying to uh, get back to whatever normal life is in its full extent. You want to travel, you want to do all these things, uh, and you've maybe even been guilted into hearing some things about what other people have done and accomplished in the pandemic. Well, if you're looking to do something meaningful right now, you don't have to wait, you don't have to look any further. I want you to join other Canadians and other people around the world who are part of a movement of practical, ongoing compassion, transforming the lives of children around the world right now in the midst of pandemic realities that are affecting people far more than they're um, even affecting us, you know, here in North America or wherever you're listening from. If you're listening to this podcast, it's likely not affecting you as much as the people that I'm talking about. Compassion Canada has all kinds of ways that you can get involved. You can use your skills, unique skills, interests, passions, abilities to make a difference no matter what your life looks like now. Like there's this guy who he couldn't get a haircut during the pandemic when things shut down. And so he raised money from growing out a pretty amazing mullet. And as a result, he raised thousands of dollars to go to COVID relief for children and their families who were desperately in need of it. So there's things like that that are fun and creative that you can do to spread a little good, just like he did. You can join other people doing some good today. Visit compassion.ca slash good for some practical and really life-giving ideas. Compassion.ca slash good. Link is in the show notes as always. When I'm hearing you talk about um, that anxiety, stress, burnout, there's a correlation between it and self-control. I don't mm-hmm. know if we talk about that much. Tell me, tell me where those threads are of connection because, because everybody's going through the anxiety, burnout, brain fog. Um, but where do you see that tying to self-control or an ability to see more evidence of self-control in our, our life? Right. So one thing I would want to differentiate is the difference between stress and the stressor. So many times when we're in a stressful situation, there's a lot of stressors around us. We feel stress. Stress is our body and our mind's uh, emotional response. It's what we feel when a stressor happens. And when we're not actually tracking that it's our body's response, then we allow what happens around us to take us on this roller coaster of ups and downs. And we have no control over how we're actually feeling. But so that's more of a what I call an external locus of control as opposed to an internal locus of control, which is, you know, and you have confidence that you can manage your stress. And it's actually not that hard because it has a lot to do with what you're thinking about the stress. Stress is our body's emotional response to a stressor and the, the 
the, the body needs to be told that it's safe. So when you're feeling stressed, you're cueing your body that you need to go into fight or flight or some reactive mode. So you're actually adrenaline's coursing through your body and you're about to react because that's what stress is supposed to do. So you actually have to teach your body that it's safe, that the stressor's out there, but I'm safe and I'm going to be okay. And there's simple things that people can do around self-care, going for a walk, hugging their dog. It's great that you have a dog now because it's helping you big time with your stress. <laughs> it's it's a message. source of stress, but also yeah. a source of de- a stress. Yeah. What, what did you say? Stressor? It's it's both. It's, it's yes. <laughs> but part of it is because you, you have to really adjust your lifestyle. So that's part yeah. of what the stress was happening for you, right? Is there's some, some unexpected surprises with having a dog. Well, even just uh, the taking breaks, um, mm-hmm. the dog forces me to take breaks. And I never feel like it. Actually, taking a break feels stressful um, right. in the midst of deadlines and whatever else obligations to clients and whatever else I'm working on. But, uh, once I'm out walking the dog, I'm glad that I'm there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's going for a walk is also a great way to tell your body you're safe, taking a hot bath. I mean, there's mm-hmm. simple things that you can do that interrupts that reminds your body that you're safe, but you're not just like clinging holding in and, and suppressing that stress. You're acknowledging the feeling. You're acknowledging that you feel stress and then you're doing something about it, right? So if, if you do that, you actually have control over it. You're managing your stress. When you're not managing your stress, of course, that's what happens. You, you, you lose your capacity to have self-control. Um, so, you know, when people are saying, hey, you know, I really need to be working on my self-regulation skills, one of the first things I'd say is, okay, let's start working on your stress, hmm. you know? Let's start working on your anxiety because anxiety is one of those things because anxiety tells you catastrophes are around the corner. And so your mind spends a lot of energy, in fact, a ton of energy trying to predict the future, manage it to prevent that catastrophe from happening. Well, that's exhausting for your brain because you're trying to solve a problem that actually it's not meant to solve. We weren't created to predict the future or to control things that's kind of God's job. Right. <laughs> so when we try to manage that, we're tapping ourselves out so that we're even more exhausted, that there's nothing left to regulate ourselves. What, what do you think about, um, in regards to anxiety and stress, you know, from where, from your seat at the table, um, in regards to social media or digital consumption, um, you know what? I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's a brand new phenomenon in the course of human history. This level of access we have, the amount of content we can see in a given day, the amount of people we could, in theory, interact with. Um, from a psychological perspective, what do you think? I mean, we're all on it. You're, you're on Instagram too. So, so obviously you're there because there's some benefit to it. But what are your concerns as we go down this path societally? What are you seeing? Or what kinds of things are you seeing show up in your office? Because you said you've been doing this for a long time. So now mm-hmm. compared to 30 years ago, what are you seeing happening? And maybe they're not directly correlated, but, but there's something connected perhaps. Yeah, well, I think... Um People struggle with feeling not enough. And social media just reinforces that. And mm. so I don't have enough stuff or I don't have enough friends or enough likes. So there's, it actually drives anxiety. And anxiety is I have to do something 
to do better. I need to have more friends. I need to buy more. I need to work harder. I'm not doing enough. And so that kind of gives this anxious edge of more, more, more. And even like right now with, uh, in many amazing ways, the, um, the desire for us to understand people of different cultures and to be more sensitive and to be more curious, that's fantastic. But it's causing people anxiety because mm. they're not doing it enough or they're not doing it right or well. And then this is constant drive, drive, drive. So social media can do that. The other thing too is uh, like anytime we're on a device, it's actually stimulating the brain. And uh, the only good stress is short-term stress. Uh, so if you've got your brain constantly on um, stimulated mode, uh, it's under stress all the time. And so what I'm hearing with a lot of people is they're having a hard time winding down and being able to get to sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, and by the way, if you sleep less than six hours a night, you're, um, you're, um, you're more likely to die young. Uh, you're more likely to develop dementia. I mean, there's a lot of real reasons. Like we weren't meant to live like that. So with that, not only the input of all that you're hearing and seeing, but just the actual stimulation of your brain is causing there not to be enough rest. So you going out for a walk with your dog, hopefully not, you know, scrolling on your screen and actually just enjoying nature and playing with your dog. That is one of the best things you can do to interrupt that for you. And you can take some deep breaths and you feel more centered, feel more, more calm, all sorts of really great things. With that. How is your self-control on your phone? <laughs> uh, you know, do you struggle with it? Uh, and do you have any just tips for like how to put that thing down? Um, um, well, my, um, um, all of my stuff does not give me a notification so I go on when I have time to go on it. And then uh, at 10 o'clock, which is my bedtime, all of the notifications go off. Like everything goes off other than emergency right. numbers. Um, I purposely um, don't spend a lot of time on social media because if I do get on it, it's, it could be hours. Like I'm just sort of flipping and flipping and flipping. And frankly, um, it, I don't see a lot of positive things on there. Uh, mm -hmm. and it just, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive. I'm a HSP highly sensitive person. And so I pick up on the emotions of others and the negativity that's out there just does not do me anything. And, um, or people are saying, you know, great things, but then, um, you know, I don't agree with what they're saying. And then that stirs me up. So all of it to say it hasn't been worth it. So I'm really only on for work purposes to post things just to, you know, let there be yeah. awareness of it. And then occasionally yeah. friends will send me this or that. That's what I try to do. I do feel out of touch to be honest, but it's kind of like, that's why I want to hire you to manage my social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. But speaking of social, um, you just didn't, you just posted about this on social media recently and you actually just, uh, you'd kind of diverged in your own podcast with Jillian um, to talk about this and you've kind of just alluded to it a few different ways around like our desire, um, our desire to learn more, our not enough, our desire to learn more about other cultures, feelings of not enoughness. And then in this episode on your podcast, but also you posted something quite, I think quite profound. And you don't usually talk about this on your own social media was about this anti-Asian racism that's going around. Do you, I mean, 
just to diverge from our, our the self-control conversation for a few minutes, um, because it's so prevalent right now, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to just touch, talk about it or even just point people to where you've already spoken about it um, to get to get more insight for people about this issue. Yeah, uh, well, um, I don't know if I'm the best expert for it um, because I have coped by um, trying my best for to try to fit in. I've tried to become as white as possible as part of how I fit in. I mean, I grew up in North York in the 70s and very, very white neighborhood. And uh, racism was a lot more overt then. Um, and hmm. I just learned to pretend it didn't bother me, which it did. Um, that wasn't so bad because, you know, people be mean and they're often strangers. What was really hurtful and I still, is still a trigger for me is when I feel excluded because of my race. Hmm. And that's been where I've had times where I know, or at least I, I felt like it was because of my race that it wasn't being accepted. Um, because people didn't understand. I mean, I went to a very white Christian school and um, they didn't bend over backwards to befriend me. It was pretty lonely, actually. Um, especially wow. I had one best friend and then when she left, that was it. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, culturally, I mean, it, being just even Asian, there's so many different cultures even within that. So, But just generally, we tend to be taught to keep our heads down, work hard, don't make a fuss, uh, don't make anybody angry, be very, very polite, um, and we're here to serve you. And uh, so even careers that are supposedly successful in the world's eyes, like what I do or what doctors do, it's still about serving others, um, not being the recipient of that. And so there's this certain constant less than so when i had um heard about the shootings in atlanta i mean i did record a podcast it was yeah. very raw for me um and you know certainly if any of your listeners want to tune in on the fully live life and look for that yeah i'm um, gonna link it for people to find it in the notes okay. here yeah um it was i was pretty raw because i was still processing it it literally had just happened and so i was uh stirred up quite a bit and actually, I could feel the emotions are still kind of there too. Just, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and and as as you've been saying, it's uh, it's accentuated by the anxiety of this spewing on social media and this, you know, talk about lack of self control and self regulation. People, this seeing this hatred within people actually coming out that. Um, that it's easy, it's so easy to spew it out at people who are, you know, complete strangers, but fit some profile of your own hatred, um, or fear or anger or whatever it is. Um, and, um, it, it leaves, yeah. I think I I would say racism, um, nowadays is a lot more subtle. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I think people who, um, can inadvertently demonstrate racist attitudes would never ever see themselves as racists. Right. So, um, you know, there's a woman I follow on um, social media, and she's talking about the right to um, 
not get vaccinated. And as I was listening, from a health standpoint, I, I'm with her and I get that, that people can choose that because we don't know the risk, blah, blah, blah. But that's coming from a place of privilege because the whole idea of getting vaccinated is because uh, it's to protect others, especially those who can't isolate at home and those who can't homeschool and they can't, they don't have the funds to do it. They have no choice. So it's those really, really subtle. Now, this woman is wonderful, lovely, well-meaning. There's like nothing about her that has a mean bone in her body. But because she comes from that lens of privilege and doesn't realize it, she's saying things that's very hurtful for other people who she's never walked in their shoes. So she says these things, you know, as an example. Yeah. I mean, it, it brings me to just this, this greater idea of our conversation around uh, that we said, we started talking about before we hit that record button, which just is just in general, the need for the fruit of the spirit, um, mm-hmm. in our lives. And you were comparing the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, you know, like the gift of leadership or hospitality or discernment or whatever. Can you talk to us about just the, fr- talk to us about the fruit of the spirit in general, um, and <laughs> what 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 to do with it or why we need it <laughs> i mean it's obvious well, in some ways but it's mo- it's not obvious mm-hmm. i mean god is love and the greatest of these is love and so i think the fruit are all manifestations of love and so just even wrapping up the conversation about the i, I call it othering that we all experience whether it's mm-hmm. because of our race or because of our gender or something um, you know, on the one side, by the way, going back to my science, our brains are wired to very, very quickly determine if somebody's friend or foe. And if hmm. anybody's different, they will automatically more quickly go into that foe place. And so you have to intentionally, okay, wait a minute, I'm not to be threatened by this person. I'm safe. And mm-hmm. I'm genuinely curious that they're different and I want to know why. So that's, um, that's from the science standpoint. So it requires intentionality of love, which uh, is in all the different flavors, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all, I mean, all the different flavors of it. With the fruits of the, uh, with the spiritual gifts, if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit's in you, you automatically get them. And you can use them as you want for your own purposes. And many people do. And if it's not good or bad, love, yeah. Good or bad, yes, and it has been. We, we could, like, rhyme off a lot of examples of that. Whereas truly the fruit of the Spirit, being rooted in love and being of love, that's not possible. And I think that can only come with significant maturity, whereas the spiritual gifts, you become a Christian, you can start using your gift. I mean, it's there for you already. Um, so, you know, I, I, I contrast, too, that the fruits, the, the spiritual gifts has a lot of our own shadow motives, our own shadow self. Like I do it because I want to be liked or gain power or, you know, because it's so cool. I want everyone to think I'm so, you know, whatever, powerful. Um, there's so much of our motivations that get tied into that, which then loses what it's intended for, which ultimately is always about love for others. And so that's not a good um, metric to determine somebody's maturity as in how much gifts they have or how they even use it. It has to be love. It has to be the fruit of the spirit. And I, I, I believe 
you know, from this whole arc of transformation that for us to really live with the fruit of the Spirit flowing through us, it must be in complete connection to God because it's from the Holy Spirit. Um, but kind of like a pipe, you know, with God on one side and the world on the other, like we're the pipe. And yes, we must stay plugged into Jesus and let his spirit flow through us to love. But we got to deal with the junk in our pipe. And there's a lot of junk. There's our fears and insecurities and our sin and our like ego needs, lots of stuff in there. And so for me, transformation is requires absolutely insight and self-awareness. What's the junk in my trunk, as I often say? I'm mixing all sorts of metaphors. Junk in my pipe doesn't sound as good. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, or the if it's the fruit metaphor, it's I don't know, the the dirt that you're growing in. You know, there's there's junk, yeah. there's there's messiness in the soil. Uh, there's stuff that needs to be cleaned up and cleared out and trimmed off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I could have insight that, yeah, you know, I struggle with my self-regulation. I can be a little impulsive. I can have a temper that doesn't do a single thing unless you begin to apply it in your life. Like you have to take that insight, apply it in your life so that it becomes wisdom. But even if you do that, that doesn't transform because it has to be repeated wise choices, repeated better actions and responses over time that your character begins to be formed and becomes more and more Christ-like. And that's kind of like the whole thing, insight to wisdom to transformation. And that's a lifelong journey. And many people read some good books, listen to some podcasts. I mean, we're so famous. That's part of the challenge. We're all wisdom gatherers. You can quote people because you've read them all, you've heard them all, but are you living it out in your life? And right. if you're not living out your life, then there's no transformation happening. And then there's no fruit. You can, we can, we can produce it. Just, I produced it. I'm, I'm performing it. There's no sustainability about it. There's no life to it. And it ultimately comes out of our own motivations to um, seem as spiritual as possible or whatever it is for us. If you haven't heard about our new sponsor for season six of the podcast, Waybase. Waybase is bringing the church together for good. They're helping people in your ministry connect together to make a greater influence and make a difference through Waybase. You can find new opportunities for impact. You can see what's really going on in your community, get real data on your neighborhood and your region. You can see what other ministries are doing in your community. You can find new partners. You can discover local and global causes. You can make strategic decisions about where you want to impact because of where the needs are in your community for maybe it's single parent households. You want to look at language groups that you want to reach. You want to look at where after school programs are, whatever you want to look at, uh, Waybase is there for you. So in order for you to take the next step, you need to claim your listing to access this entire suite of free features to help you do more good in your community. It's free, but you got to claim your listing. If you're a church or a Christian ministry in Canada, it's very, very likely, 99% likely, you already are listed on Waybase, but you have to claim it. So go to waybase.com today. The link is in the show notes so you can claim it. And you can, together with other churches, be together for good. What, what do you think it is, in broad generalization, you know, lots of the fruit of some leaders these days has been shown to be rotten. I mean, there's rotten fruit in all of our lives, but some of it seems to be more public and spectacular gossip, you know, in nature than others. But 
Why? But there's also this pattern of, of we the people choosing gifts over character as our own leaders so often that we choose the, the one who's got the gift. But as you say, the gift you get right away, but the fruit of the spirit, the character development takes a lifetime to develop. Mm -hmm. Why, Mm -hmm. why is it, do you think we choose these kinds of people to lead our, not always, not there's wonderful leaders out there, but, but why do we choose those kind of people to lead our churches uh, over and over? I, I truly believe that the church has adopted uh, worldly ways, which is mm-hmm. all about success. It's all, all about achievement. It's all about these goals that we do pursue. It's, it's all outside stuff. And then, of course, with social media, it's all about how I look to others. So my image is super important. And all of us have an idealized image that we try to project into the world. And we'll do everything we can to protect that. Mm. Uh, without naming names. You can even think of leaders who've fallen, who'd, who've done everything they could to protect that particular image yeah, and, sure. and, and has led to even more pain and suffering for people. Um, and then when they're caught, there's, uh, you know, no apology or little apology and it's always other people's fault. So if we've adopted the world's way, which is all about image and success and all the externals and we are, our own God and we define our own destiny and all that. Well, of course uh, the world is going to start to show the rottenness the the church is going to start to show the rottenness of the world. And, uh, and so character isn't such a big deal um, anymore. We talk about it, but we don't live it out. Right. That's, that's the challenge. Um, and, And frankly, if I think about it, I'm attracted to a charismatic leader just like anybody else, because especially if they're like a superstar and they're famous, you can't help but feel like, ooh, yeah, they looked at me, which just, you know, perpetuates that celebrity culture in the church, which gives a lot of room, because if a church is based on the personality of that celebrity, that church can't help but be tempted. I mean, some churches are managing it, but they, they can be tempted to do everything possible to maintain the reputation of their church and of their leader, including hiding things, because mm. it affects the reputation of the church. Yeah. And then it becomes about their ego needs and their ministry, and it's not actually about what God's doing. Yeah, because, of course, in the person of Jesus, we see this celebrityism, this this at times in his ministry, there's thousands, you know, thousands of people around him feeding of the 5000. There's crowds and people following on the street. You know, it's, it was saying that he was so busy with people wanting him, he barely had time to eat or sleep. Like there was a huge amount of celebrity for a period of time for him mm-hmm. um, before, you know, everyone abandoned him. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then he but he could handle it. There was an ability he had through character character, um, the fruit of the spirit, uh, to handle the playing with fire, but actually handle it without, you know, without getting burned. Um, and actually he seemed to continue to kind of shove it off. Like, let's see what I can do today to make everybody upset and leave me alone, not leave me alone, but to, (laughs) to not view me as a celebrity. (laughs) Let me go, let me go hang out with these people that nobody likes. Let me go say this controversial thing. He kept trying to shake it off. Uh, it's fascinating. And he loved hanging out with the worst of the sinners. So one thing I've been thinking about, and it came out of a conversation, I'm part of a group, and the question came up is, uh, is, is do we 
uh, does Jesus fully represent God? Hmm. And without going into the theology of that, the part that I kind of really stuck in on and thought about was, well, what about, do we see Jesus in the broken? Do we see Jesus in the least? Like, we, if we don't see the cross every time we think about Jesus and his broken body and his vulnerability and the pain he suffered, and to see that as godly, to see that as holy, like, Hmm. Because we think big, big stage, people following us, that's what we think it is. But if we don't pair it with, which is a paradox of this strong and this vulnerable, this dark and light and broken and healed. I mean, all of that was Jesus. And yet he was without sin and he exemplified the spirits, the, the, whole, the fruit of spirit perfectly. Yeah. So I think that's something that if the church would start to be willing to be more um, um, vulnerable, more honest about their brokenness, uh, being willing to be more honest about their character flaws, all that stuff in the pipe. If, if, if you know, leaders start to really um, do that and be willing to be brave about it, oh my gosh. Like one changed person changes a family, changes a community, changes the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And change is possible. I think that's change a big thing that we can change. So, um, yeah. There's these things that we think we are always this way. We'll never be that way. These sorts of statements, but that changes. You wouldn't be in the business you're in if you didn't think that was true. <laughs> yeah. And I would say even further, if we're Christian, we have to believe change is possible because mm-hmm. God reconciles, redeems, restores rebirths things in us and, and literally whole people, whole lives. So if we don't think we can change, we don't think others can change, then I think we've missed the point of the gospel. Um, Mary, just as a close, you know, there's people in, in the world, people listening and certainly people I know in my own life who, um, there's a stigma for them around therapy. There's maybe they don't think it's worth the money. It's, it, it can be costly, um, to do it, but what would be your encouragement to people listening who would like to change and and recognize that they need some help for change, some help to see more fruit in their life? What would you say to people about why why therapy can help them when they can't just mm-hmm. you know do it on their own? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm a big proponent of therapy for sure, and I still do therapy because there's just some things that you need to process through that you can't with your friends. Um, but you know, people are where they're at and if they're at that stage where they don't buy in yet to therapy, that's okay. Uh, but gain insight, you know, read books that aren't just theological books or books on just leadership, read ones about character and, um, personal development and the inner work. Uh, you know, even a book on how to know how you feel. especially a lot of men they're not in touch with their emotions like you could start with that you know i'm gonna you know do a little plug for my podcast the fully live life that's all we talk about and they're like 25 30 minute episodes we kind of you know introduce a concept it's done very practically with steps for people to do start with that right that's non-threatening and then (laughs) what i love the spirit of god when he gets a hold of you He gives you the courage and he opens the door for healing to come. And the thing is, 
people, he longs for freedom for us. Like the reason why we have all this pain that through our transformation is because he wants freedom for us. Like we were never meant to suffer as a result of believing lies because God is a God of truth. So how much of your suffering is because of lies? Anxiety lies to you. Yeah. Temptation lies to you. So if you recognize that God wants to free you from it, I'm, in the, I'm telling you, the, the, the pain of the process is so worth it. You talk to anyone who's gone through the journey of therapy, um, they, they would never um, not have done that. In fact, they encourage all their friends to do it as well. Yeah. Awesome. So it is a way. I mean, if, if, if you don't have a lot of trauma in your background and you don't think you need a therapist, then go for a life coach. And that'll be the same thing. Somebody who can just talk you through and you can have very concrete strategies like, you know, I really want to lose weight. You can have a life coach for that. Or, you know, I tend to procrastinate a lot. Help me with that. Great. Right. And that's kind of like a little behavioral opening to kind of get at some character issues that can sometimes get at what's holding you back. And then there can be freedom that comes. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think just even it doesn't have to be literally a therapist, as you said. I love that there's avenues into this that don't include sitting in a a formal therapy session with someone that through there's and, and I think coaching and podcasts and there's so much content. There's so much content you've created and so much content people like you who have created that uh, gives access to people who are. Um, yeah, who are wanting to grow and, and that we, we can have mentorship and counsel that doesn't, uh, that maybe isn't someone we've ever met in real life, but that we can have that through, Mm -hmm. through the media content that they're, that they're creating as well. Um, and I actually have a book, the fully live life. That's the name of my podcast, but also the book, mm -hmm. fully live life. And it does give a pretty deep, but it's a journey through uh, personal healing and freedom and self-insight and all the things that I've been talking about from a very um, Christ-centered perspective. Yeah. Awesome. Dr. Mary, thanks so much yes. for your time today. I mean, the, the, the topic is, you know, a huge one. So I appreciate you trying to, to give us some, some insights into it, um, some takeaway nuggets that, that we can... Um, be challenged by, um, because character matters, because self-control is something that if grown in us by God's help, um, brings God to more people in the world, which is kind of, it's for us, but it's also for others. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to send people to your website. We want to send people to your podcast and we want to send people to your book. So we're going to link all that in the show notes. Um, but is there, um, another episode, if there's, if someone's going to start into your podcast, where, um, where do you want them to start? Um, it depends where they're at. Um, I'll tell you one that seems to have a lot of uh, responses to it's the one we did on overfunctioning. Okay. Um, and also all the ones that we do related to stress, um, those ones are all really popular. I mean, whatever is your pain point right now, we probably have talked about it. (laughs) So (laughs) you can just look on the menu and pick the topic. We try to make the titles very clear what we're going to talk about. If you think you deal with perfectionism, we got something on perfectionism. You think you deal with the inner critic, we got something on the inner critic. So awesome. Um, or you can just start from the beginning and just listen in. Um, the podcast is Jillian and I journeying. 
So we don't have all these neat and tidy answers and we are, we show up pretty real yeah, and transparent in that. So, yeah. you know, as we've been journeying, we just happen to be recording our conversations as we're journeying through life. So yeah, it's awesome. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks so much, Dr. Mary. Hey, if you like this episode, if you enjoyed the conversation with Mary, if you know some people who need um, some help with self-control, they're wrestling with boundaries and trying to say no to some things or whatever it may be, share this podcast with them, pass this on to a friend, tag somebody on the internet and uh, tell us how you liked it. We'd love to hear back from you. It's so fun when you write to us, take a minute to post or just DM a comment, an email, whatever it may be. Thanks, of course, to Compassion and to Waybase for making this podcast possible. You check out the links in the show notes to visit their sites and you can take some action. You can learn more about these amazing organizations and how you can be involved. And hey, next up on the podcast next week, we have Tiffany Bloom. Tiffany is talking about faithfulness. We're going to be looking at why she and why others might remain faithful to the church even when it's just burned so many people. So if that's you or that's other people in your life, this episode might be for you. Tiffany Bloom on faithfulness. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends.